Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple music streaming providers, including Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Before we get into the story, I have to mention newspapers.com. I use it for my research and I love it because it gives me so much interesting information I would have never found otherwise. If you visit SportsHistoryNetwork.com, we offer a free one-week subscription as a trial. With a paid subscription, you'll be supporting the production of this podcast as well as the other shows. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Hey everyone, I have to address a couple things before we get started. First, I want to apologize for not releasing any new content in the last couple months. Life has been pretty busy for me and the missus. Second, I really want to express my appreciation for all of my listeners. You are the motivation behind making these stories the best they can be. Please keep continuing to spread the good word about the podcast. With that being said, let's get going with the story. To catch you up on what's happened with the podcast, or if you're brand new to listening, I'd like to encourage you to check out the last two series I wrote on Red Grange and Ernie Nevers. 
If you're not familiar with either one, Red Grange is famous for being the first big-name college athlete to sign a professional football contract with an agent. Grange's contract paid him up to $100,000 in 1925 for signing with the Chicago Bears. Back in those days, $100,000 was equal to about a million today. Ernie Nevers was a guy who played for the Duluth Eskimos and Chicago Cardinals from 1926 to 1931. A combination of his size, speed, and strength made him a big name coming out of Stanford. Grange really became famous for his speed. Nevers was more an all-around athlete that was machine-like because he seemed to never get tired. In his rookie season with Duluth, he played 1,700 minutes of a possible 1,740. This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, I will be introducing you to a man who played with the Chicago Bears in the 1930s. He was a star fullback at the University of Minnesota and eventually made his way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. With that being said, let's get to the story. This is Pigskin Tales, the story of Bronislaw Bronco Nagurski. Bronislaw Nagurski was born in Rainy River, Ontario, Canada, on November 3, 1908, to Polish-Ukrainian immigrant parents Mike and Amelia. In 1913, Mike, Amelia, and the four kids moved from Canada to the United States in search of work. Mike found a nice small town in northern Minnesota where he could raise his family, open a small business, and do some farming. International Falls was the place they settled. Google Maps shows that International Falls is about an hour to the east of Rainy River, Ontario. An interesting fact to that point is that Baudette, Minnesota is only about five minutes across the Canada-Minnesota border. Also, Bemidji, where Bronco went to high school for his senior year, is about two hours to the southwest. According to the website population.us, International Falls had 6,171 residents in 2014. They tried to calculate the growth rate from 2014 to 2021 based on population density per square mile and came up with 5,752, accounting for minus 1% growth rate. So what that means to you is that... In the last seven years, about 1,500 people had left International Falls and there haven't been any more people coming to the town to grow it. So after that mind-blowing fact, let's give this story a break by playing uh, an ad from Play Classic. Hey, I got a couple questions for you. Do you like board games? Do you like sim games? If you answered yeah to both questions then you're in luck. Play Classic has you covered. Who? Play Classic. It's spelled with two A's. P-L-A-A-Y. Oh, got it. 
Play Classic Games, the sponsor of this podcast, offers board gamers who love sports the chance to own something unique. Play Classic has realistic simulation board games in hockey, golf, football, baseball, and so much more. Coming soon next year, basketball. When you shop today at sportshistorynetwork.com backslash play, you'll get 10% off your first buy. Just make sure you use the promo code SHN. And while you're on the Sports History Network, be sure to check out all of our podcasts. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. According to the online PDF document titled Early History of International Falls, the town had about a thousand people living and working in International Falls in 1910. So now that you know a little bit about where Bronco grew up, let me tell you a little bit about how he grew up. You see, back in those days, they didn't have a whole lot of material stuff, so they had to make do with what they had. According to author Ben Donahue, whom wrote the article titled The Life and Career of Bronco Nagurski, when he was in elementary school, his teacher and classmates had such a hard time pronouncing his given name, they just ended up calling him Bronco to make things easier. When he wasn't in school, he had to help his dad on the family farm. His hard work around the farm paid off when he was old enough to play sports in high school. According to his biography posted on the website findagrave.com, he had to run four miles to and from school every day. That's interesting to me because I grew up on a farm about three and a half miles from the town of Walcott, North Dakota. In high school, to get into shape for the sports I played, I ran the three and a half miles to and from Walcott. Some people in my community couldn't believe that I could run that far. The other day, my wife asked me how my story was going. She mentioned that her grandma was born in Tabor, Minnesota in 1913. So we got to talking about how more than likely the Nagurski family had a horse and did a lot of trading with other farmers to make sure they had the materials they needed to survive. They also more than likely traded materials for wheat seed. When Bronco was in high school in International Falls, he chose to play football and basketball. Now this was in the early 1920s and he was tall for his age. He was 6'2 and I would guess he weighed about 150 to 160 pounds. When he played for the Gophers and Chicago Bears, I think he gained some weight in order to be more physical. He weighed 225 as a pro football player. But in high school, he was big, strong, and fast. The author of his Find a Grave biography mentioned that he liked boxing and wrestling as a teen, but his mom tried to tell him that she was scared for him because it's so rough. She was worried he would get hurt. But I'm sure that Bronco said something like, Ah, I'll be fine. 
So after that, let's take a quick break for a breather. I'll be right back after this ad from Row One Brand Sports. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice. In the Row One Shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one for access to the full row one catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. We're talking about Bronco Nagurski and where he grew up. Since he was so tall and athletic, he became the star football and basketball player for International Falls. When he was 17, he decided to transfer high schools and attend Bemidji because he believed that he had a better chance to earn a full scholarship for playing college football. But when he didn't get on the football team because of ineligibility, he played for the basketball team instead. He was a star for them too, but it really wasn't what he wanted. So I'm sure you're asking, well, how was Bronco ineligible for playing football at Bemidji? The transfer rules at the school at the time required him to be enrolled by a certain date, and he missed that date. But no worries, at least he was still able to play basketball. According to Ben Donahue, Nagurski's hard work ethic paid off for him when the Minnesota Gophers head football coach at the time had heard of a kid from International Falls that was big, strong, and fast. His name was Clarence Spears. He wasn't sure who he was looking for, but he happened to see this big kid working in a field without help from a horse. It was Bronco using a plow to dig for planting crops. Mr. Spears asked him for directions and Bronco pulled up the heavy plow and pointed towards town. Mr. Spears was so impressed by this that he asked him about playing sports. Bronco said he was a football player. Mr. Spears then asked if he'd be interested in playing football for the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. I don't think it took too much convincing from Spears to Bronco to say, yeah. Mr. Nagurski was enrolled at the University of Minnesota in the fall of 1926. 
According to Donahue, Bronco, quote, wasted no time in displaying his brute force and athleticism, unquote. In his article, he mentions that, quote, during his first practice, Nagurski was thrown into a drill called the Nutcracker. It's a football drill designed for a defensive player to engage and shed two offensive blockers on the way to the ball carrier, unquote. The coach had his two best offensive linemen go at Nagurski only to see him blast through the two blockers and smash the ball carrier to the ground. Coach Spears was impressed, but he wanted to see more. He told the four players to run the drill again. Again, the same result happened, and again, the running back felt like he had been hit by a truck. Coach Spears grinned from ear to ear. He was so impressed with Mr. Nagurski that he knew he made the right call in giving him a scholarship. Mr. Nagurski ended up playing both offense and defense for the Gophers. On offense, he was the fullback, and on defense, he played linebacker and defensive tackle. In the three seasons he played with the Gophers, the team was a powerhouse and went 18-4-2. According to the website sportsreference.com, they were actually Big Ten Conference co-champions with the University of Illinois in 1927. Many college football historians believe that in 1928, Nagurski played the best game of his college career against Wisconsin in the regular season finale. As the story goes, the Gophers were trailing late in the game and Nagurski had been dealing with cracked ribs. He wore a corset to minimize the pain. Since he was tough, the injury never bothered him. He recovered a Wisconsin fumble deep in Gopher territory to stop the Badgers from scoring the game-saving touchdown. On the next offensive series, he took the handoff from Harold Almquist and just kept running. Six times he carried the ball and eventually ended up in the end zone for the go-ahead score. On the next offensive series, Nagurski intercepted a pass and knelt down for the victory. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintalespodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.